1: This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Join us each day for the stories making news and moving markets in the Asia Pacific. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business app. James Mager joins us, Bloomberg senior reporter in Beijing, for the reopening of the China markets uh, and a deeper look at the Chinese economy. James, it seems like a little bit of a damp squib this morning. CSI 300 only up about two-tenths of 1%. One can only imagine there's still a lot of skepticism about the durability of the recovery in China, and perhaps a little disappointment on the PBOC actions on Sunday. Your take?
2: I think that's correct. You know, we did see a big rebound in in consumer spending over the holidays. Lots of people were traveling, um, you know, the the largest number of people traveling since at least 2019. Uh, or yeah, you know, so you know, this is good news in that people were concerned, but it's it's not gr- great news that you know people went home for the holidays. You know, that's what you should expect them to do, and so. The fact that, you know, there was a lot of hope that this might mean that there would be a recovery in the stock market, but I think people are looking through this and looking at the, the broader economic challenges, which is not going to be fixed by one strong holiday season. Uh, and, you know, you see the uh, the housing market is still in a slump. You, you, as you said, the PBSC didn't actually do anything over the weekend. Um, we may see some action in interest rates tomorrow with the LPR. Um, there is an expectation that that will actually be cut, uh, and especially if you see a, a cut in the five-year LPR. That would be uh, that would be beneficial for home loan or people wanting to take out new Mortgages, but I, I think um, yeah, markets have reacted very you know, weakly so far today to to this uh, data, and I think that you, you to know, be James,
1: I, I think you know what you mentioned about the five-year LPR, that's almost in essence part of the problem because the, even the expectation is they're going to cut it five basis points.
2: Right. I mean, yeah, you know, that's think nothing. Th- that is nothing, and, and you know, there's still quite high you know, real rates. Are very high because china is in deflation right now so even if you were to cut rates to zero people will still be paying a positive rate on their on their mortgages um so you know the expectations for action are are very much in the government's court and all the things that we're seeing all the things that have been done so far this year and last year have been sort of around the around the margins very small and you know it's unclear to me what exactly would be enough uh, can the PBOC, can the government actually do enough to really turn this around and to totally change the narrative? But at least so far, they haven't done anywhere near enough to as you know, to, to fix what the, uh, the unhappiness for, that stock investors have been showing. To say nothing of the deflationary pressures
3: that are happening across the entire economy. So we were talking a moment ago about this uptick in consumer spending during the holiday. What do we know about the prices that
2: consumers were paying in this period relative to a year ago? I mean, inflation is inflation is negative right now. Consumer inflation is negative. Business uh, producer prices are, are very are, are falling a lot, and I think you know, the the big drivers for that, um, food prices are down. Fruit demand is weak. You also obviously have demand for production uh, for for uh, construction goods and, and these kind of things is also very weak. So people are paying less than they were a year ago. So that probably means that spending was even greater. Like actual. Yeah. It, people were buying more, but they yeah. were just paying less for it than they were. But uh, you know, this is still not a great, a, a great situation to be in.
1: Yeah, that was exactly my next point, which that's um, it's it's that's a little bit of comfort, but really not much in the larger scheme of things. That units are are probably uh, volume is up, but uh, prices uh, still down.
2: Correct. I mean, so box office was up, for example. But again, I mean, you know, the last four years have been. The box office was shut in 2020. So, you know, the, the, people weren't going to the movies early in 2022 because everyone had COVID. Uh, and so, to com- the comparison to so say, great, but the box office is really good this year. It's the strongest it's been in years, is really, really poor comparison. And it's not it's not actually strong it's just strong compared to the very lean years we've been having over the last few years especially 2020 uh, obviously 2020 then again and then 2022 2023 was a little you know the last you know the the, the one we've just had is better but it's not
3: incredibly strong So if we're trying to improve sentiment, you've talked about the interest rate picture. We've also talked about how a weak equity market tends to negatively impact investor psychology. We talked earlier in the show today about the fact that maybe the national team will step in and do more buying particularly of the ETF space, is there anything that you have heard in your travels and reporting on the economy and markets in China, anything that you've heard that is perhaps a a novel policy prescription that perhaps can turn this around?
2: Uh, It's not a policy prescription, per se, but I think the interesting thing that I saw over the holidays was that um, second-hand home sales really were quite strong. And you saw last year, actually, the amount of money going to the second-hand home market was larger than the primary, the new home market, for the first time, I think, on record. And so I think what's happening is that people are... People you know people are rightly concerned that if they buy a new home it won't be delivered they'll pay a bunch of money they'll take on a mortgage and then the company that's meant to give them to, to sell them the home to mail, build the home mm. will go bankrupt and they won't get their house yeah, But if you buy a second well, home, there's much more demand ah. for that. And prices are falling a lot and fall a lot, much more in the secondary market than they have with the primary market, So the government is making sure that primary prices are full. So secondary home sales are actually doing pretty well. Okay, we'll leave it there. Always a pleasure. James, thanks for making
3: time for us. James Mager from our bureau in Beijing here on Daybreak Casual.
1: Well, joining us now in the studios in Hong Kong is Jason Lui, who's head of APAC Equity and Derivative Strategy at BNP Paribas. Jason, thanks for coming on into our studios here. So we had this uh, holiday news really on Friday morning from the state media. We saw a huge bounce in Hong Kong. So we know that there's some energy there. But Hong Kong is not exactly domestic China. Uh, The Hang Seng Index is up 2.5%. When we look at the futures this morning trading in Singapore, we don't see a huge bounce at all. Is caution going to end up being the byword even for domestic trading in China?
4: Well, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, Brian, as you mentioned earlier, I think, Over the weekend, you have seen the PBOC did not change uh, its policy rate. And I think some of the capital injection may have been a little bit modest compared to market expectations. So that certainly is one side of the story. I think the other side of the story is that when you look at the travel data, uh, while it is very encouraging on a percentage uh, in terms of number of trips, I think if you look at it from a glass half empty perspective, then some of the per average number may have been a little bit doesn't follow the same kind of magnitude. So I can understand that the market will want to look at it from a more negative lens if they choose to. I think at this moment, uh, what is more important for us is the forward-looking policy measures. Yes, uh, looking forward, I think the LPR decision tomorrow will be an important one, but also I think the market will look forward to the so-called two session where the National People Congress will meet and they will issue some of the growth target that will give the market a little bit more visibility for the rest of the year.
3: So Jason, what's the House view at BNP Paribas right now on on the Chinese equity market?
4: Sure. Uh, Our view is that we maintain a neutral stance on the overall equity market. The main reason is because if you look at the price action over the past 12 to 18 months, it has been extremely sensitive to policies. And so far, we haven't have enough policy clarity in terms of how much commitment the government wants to uh, really stimulate growth, because I think, oh, Over the recent months, there's been a lot of discussion regarding, is the government really willing to commit to a 5% growth? It is likely that we'll see a scenario where the government issue an official target of 5%, but then the market will question what are the credible policy package that can get us there. So I think that is why we maintain a neutral stand. That being said, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sure. Uh, That being said, we do see a little bit more uh, thematic opportunities. So beyond the index level, we start to see things, for example, uh, like buybacks and dividends uh, and even some of the ETF purchases are starting to take hold. And this is part of a much longer path of capital market uh, structural reform that we think can be a lot more interesting over the medium to long term.
1: So it seems like investors on the one hand might be saying they're not happy with policy and you just expressed, um, you know, some concerns about policymaking. Is it really that uh, some of these if, if looked through the prism of long term planning might be quite sound, but that they're just being rushed through too much in the short term and that is disrupting markets?
4: I think that's a very fair question because uh, if you look back at what happened over the past six weeks, uh, it feels like much longer because of the price action. Uh, But if you recall that the narrative starting into 2024 is that 2023 was a very challenging year. Starting in 2024, there will be more policy action. Hopefully, we grow better from a low base. I think to start the year, there was relatively limited discussion uh, regarding the actual policy support. And if you recall, uh, back in January, the PBUC also uh, did not change its interest rate, despite the fact that there's been a lot of pre-communication heading into that event. So I think that really triggered uh, the beginning of this kind of downward spiral in sentiment and really took the government uh, and some of the state back funds a lot of uh, effort to stabilize the market sentiment heading into the Chinese New Year. So I would say right now we are gradually resetting the expectation just back to the start of the year. So if you're moving away, let's forget the indexes for
3: a moment. If you're tactical on selected names, I'm wondering about the hedging strategies that you're using because I note that you're not only the head of the equity side but the derivative side as well. So Mm -hmm. is it almost necessary that you put some type of
4: derivative strategy on top of any kind of equity trade if you're playing China? Sure. Um, that's a great question. In fact, when we look at our client interaction from a derivative standpoint, uh, clients are very active when it comes to China-related derivative, both for the domestic market as well as the Hong Kong-listed market. Uh, on the domestic side, I think some of your colleagues may have reported in recent weeks that the futures were trading at a steep discount compared to its fair value, which attracted quite a bit of attention uh, from global investors in terms of how do you take advantage of some of those mispricing. Uh, on the Hong Kong side, if you look at the options market on HSCEI, for example, you will notice that despite that bearish sentiment to start the year, the relative pricing between calls and puts are still quite skewed to the other side, meaning that investors are willing to spend a little bit of premium to capture the upside risk without uh, risking the entire principle. So I think mm-hmm. we feel that investors want to have something on, on the upside, just in case, because one of the lessons from 2023 is that despite the general downward trend, there has been three or four episodes of very concentrated 5 to 10% rally. And so we have seen the derivative positioning reflecting those kind of uh, opportunistic trading.
1: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So the skew a little bit to puts on, on China, but the skew a little bit toward calls on Hong Kong. Is that effectively
4: what you said? Um, I think that seems to be the case when we look at the relative pricing on the volatility. Um, on the China side, it's more has to do with the fact that you have a very big supply demand imbalance on the future, especially when it comes to the small mid-cap indices, which created a rather unusual mispricing opportunities uh, for investors to take advantage of.
3: One of the things we've been talking about recently has been on the part of the national team building larger positions in whether it's ETFs or, you know, straight vanilla equities. Do you think there's a real risk if if the national team were to take
4: on, uh, you know, additional positions in the, in the market? Sure. Um, I think that is a, one of the big questions that a lot of investors are asking at the moment, because historically, uh, the so-called national team, they tend to behave in a relatively opaque manner. Um, I think the most recent example that was very high profile is back in 2015-2016, where uh, a group of uh, national team as well as security house grouped together to try to rescue the market, but the result was a little bit mixed. Um, I think this time around, what is different is in terms of the vehicle of choice. Uh, back in 2015-2016, was, there was a lot more stock picking involved, whereas this time around, it seems that they are focusing on ETF. So perhaps they are learning some of their experience from other central banks over the recent years in terms of how to stabilize the market. And I will note that um, the uh, central Huijin, which is the unit that purchased those funds publicly, actually made two announcements over the past six months. So back in October 23rd, they simply mentioned that we have been starting to buy ETF. But they issue another statement on February 6th, which had three key points. They say they will expand the scope of the underlier. They will intensify the buying and they will also continue to stabilize the market. So this seems to suggest that they have now evolving uh, their mandate compared to a few months ago. And I think... The challenge to gauge that is that, unlike some of the other central banks where they actually have daily or weekly disclosure, mm. the buying from the central Huijing or some of the related parties, you can only see from the ETF fund flow perspective and you can only infer what they are doing. Yeah. And so I think that is the, the, the difference.
1: Jason, we've always tried to read policy in China, but that was more from the standpoint of where the government was deploying capital. Uh, now it's almost like it's policy uh, considerations. Uh, you know, Who do they like and who don't they like? maybe that's a little a little kind of crude but when you see what happened with uh with alibaba and tencent who are some of the new players that may be in favor of policymakers?
4: i think that is indeed one of the challenges when i look at chinese equity market i understand that i think a lot of the media have pointed out the fact that the hong kong china market is down 40 50 percent from its recent peak a big part of that is due to these crackdown in select industry um so if we look into 2024 one of the new phrases i think um, Bloomberg also reported that the so-called high-quality growth. Now, there's no official definition of high-quality growth, but our interpretation is that it involves some of the high-tech supply chain self-sustainability type uh, investments. So in that sense, I think a lot of the uh, renewable energy supply chain, a lot of the so-called high-tech capital uh, equipment, they will continue to benefit And I think that is one of our investment thesis is that while the overall economy may remain under pressure, you have this subset of what we call upstream and midstream industry that will likely benefit from these kind of Mm. government policy. That's great stuff.
1: Really, thanks a lot, Jason, for coming into our studios. We appreciate it on early Monday morning. Jason Loy, head of APAC Equity and Derivative Strategy at BNP Paribas.
0: influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
1: Joining us is our colleague Paul Dobson, Bloomberg Executive Editor for Asia Markets. So a lot of attention on China today, uh, at least a, a day or two, <laughs> to, uh, to, to shine in the sun, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's, it's like this. I mean, the China spending up from pre-pandemic levels uh, gets your attention. But so does the slowdown in FDI and all the other ills of the economy. Uh, and we're not seeing other markets really all that buoyant this morning. How do you read the mood at the moment, Paul?
5: Yeah, I I would say that the the mood as the mainland markets uh, reopen should be cautiously optimistic perhaps we had a better week last week in uh, the offshore markets the ADRs in the US and the Hong Kong gauges as well uh, which bodes well and I think that the e- economic data the real-time economic data that we have on spending and travel seems relatively benign and positive positive. Uh, and that really is the thing uh, that's needed more than anything else to turn around the economy right now a, a recovery or a, a rebuilding of constant Consumer confidence. Now, uh, this is a very small step, um, and you know it may have been a particularly good reason, uh, a particularly good year for for many other reasons as well. But nonetheless, it does give some hope, and so you would expect that there would be some some pretty good gains at the start. But let's see how much follow through we get through the rest of the week once that sort of initial Philip is uh, is done and dusted.
3: And if there is follow through, whether it's lasting, you know, going into the weekend, there was a little bit of speculation that perhaps, and I realized that this was not the mainstream bet that maybe the PBOC would tweak uh, its key policy rate um, as a way of incentivizing people maybe to, to take on a little bit more risk. That didn't happen. Uh, the one-year uh, policy loan rate was held at uh, 2.5%. But what we're learning now is that maybe the big banks in China will cut rates in the coming week. Do you think that's likely?
5: Uh, it seems like it's a possibility. It was certainly mentioned in the uh, local media, the official media today, as being a potential thing that we will see happen. Um, they've created some space recently with triple R cuts to, to open a little bit of room for banks to lower uh, those rates further. Um, so that's in the cards. I think on both of these. Um, um uh, measures or, or, or metrics. What's quite important is that limited room that there is uh in which the, the the authorities have to operate. With the with the um loan prime rate and the bank lending rates, you know, bank margins are already under quite a lot of pressure. So there's only so far and so much that they can do. With the mm. MLF that we had at the weekend, uh the concern is uh, that it would trigger more currency weakness or more capital outflows, and that 's something that they also want to avoid, so in both cases, the space is reasonably tight, and there needs to be a, a strong case or a compelling reason uh, to do more. We just did have that triple-R cut, and that 's supposed to be helping, and so I guess they 'll want to watch and see how that feeds through into the economy before well before and the more and the stuff. apparent
1: pick up the apparent pickup in spending uh, indicates things are working even without a cut in interest rates so i suppose one could read some caution is is okay there and what we're talking about with the stock market gains today would be mostly domestic i would think foreign investors remain pretty jaded about uh, china although you you do see pockets of interest Uh, i'm kind of curious about whether or not um, there's a a a way to read this uh, that that perhaps because japan you know, has seen such gains and the U.S. has seen such gains that maybe, just maybe a little bit of foreign money might uh, take a punt.
5: Uh, it's possible, but uh, the over, overwhelming sort of uh, mood from the international community is that there are those better opportunities elsewhere, right? Like you said, Japan looks great, India looks great, the U.S. Why would you put your money anywhere else right now when the tech stocks are going so crazy unless you're looking at the, the relative valuations, So it might be the sort of longer term investors that are, that are keener in some ways. And yet with so much policy uncertainty still there and the growth outlook looking, you know, uh, still longer term, pretty um uh modest by recent uh standards and that disinflationary impulse still hanging over the market as well there are reasons why international investors are, are concerned and that's what we've seen in the FDI numbers uh the the you know kind of st- by businesses basically into the economy has shrunk uh, continually for several years, now the lowest in 30 years. And I think that's more of a sign of kind of, you know, the U.S. general retrenchment from China's markets in general, sort of stay away mentality. So, yes, of course, there will be some, some speculative flows that would like to try and jump on any any big moves that we see. But like you said, I think the, the domestic uh, investor is the key player here at the moment. I, I
3: thought it was very interesting, the latest survey of global money managers from Bank of America shows uh, that going short Chinese stocks is still very popular and maybe becoming more so. And this has been the second most crowded trade we know for months now. And I'm wondering at what point do you get hurt if you step in and, and aggressively short China?
5: Well, the last two weeks would have been pretty painful, given the golden dragon. I think uh, in the US had gains of five percent two weeks in a row. So, uh, so but maybe people are seeing it as an opportunity to reload those short bets again, uh, and 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 still see more scope for weakness in 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 the chinese markets and i think because of those international outflows which has been such a persistent theme that would that would put you in that mentality but maybe you know kind of it doesn't take much to 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 get china's markets excited and when we see uh big rallies they 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 come exceptionally hard and fast so the short sellers will want to be wary of that as well
1: all right paul thanks very much for joining us paul dobson bloomberg executive editor for Asia markets
3: This has been the Bloomberg Daybreak Asia podcast, bringing you the stories making news and moving markets in the Asia Pacific. Visit the Bloomberg podcast channel on YouTube to get more episodes of this and other shows from Bloomberg. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal and the Bloomberg Business app.